0: greetings you are about to hear one of a multi-part series on the dedication of solomon's temple entitled restore the glory by myself dan Augsburger. i shared these presentations in the fall of 2015 in the Stanbro park sda church in watford england which is a northern suburb of london in this series we look at the construction and the dedication of solomon's temple In doing so, however, we compare the building and construction of that temple with the prior construction and dedication of the first tabernacle in the wilderness and the subsequent construction and dedication of the second temple, which was constructed after the exile. We will also look at the construction and the dedication of the temple of our hearts. I believe you will learn much from these presentations and will be blessed. I hope you'll be able to hear all of them. They can be found at my website, discipleheart.com. If you have further questions or want to communicate with me for some other reason, you can write me at Path to Prayer P A T H number two Prayer Path to Prayer at Gmail G M A I L Gmail dot com Path to Prayer at Gmail dot com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. I appreciate your taking the time to listen, and I pray that you will be blessed. Like to welcome all of you again this evening to our prayer meeting. It's a privilege to come and spend time thinking about Jesus during the week. I know some of you have traveled the distance. Thank you for making the effort. Um, We are taping them every day. I haven't uploaded last night's yet, but I'll try to get it up there as quickly as I can on my website, discipleheart.com. And if you know of others who perhaps should be coming, don't hesitate to call and invite them. You're the early adopters, and maybe some might come because you've invited them. Earlier there was the quotation there uh, on the screen speaking about how day by day we are building characters and building them for eternity. That's an awesome thought, that what we're doing here is not just for today and tomorrow, but it's for eternity. That's a a very wonderful thought. It's an amazing thought. You know, the things that we think that were so wonderful here, they don't even begin to compare with, with up there. that's really quite something. Uh, Something that I only thought of after the meeting ended last night was regarding the people who were involved in building those temples, all of them, or the people or individuals, all of them had been redeemed and forgiven in some way. And that really struck my heart. When you think of the children of Israel, they had been in bondage in Egypt and, and God led them out of Egypt to enjoy new freedom. Uh, it was David who wanted to build a temple for God out of gratitude. He had made some horrible mistakes in his life, but God had forgiven him, God had restored him, and out of his love, he wanted to build this temple. And God said, you're not allowed to build it, but your son will. Uh, the second temple was built by exiles who'd come back from, from captivity because they had so fallen from God that God had actually destroyed the temple, which is almost an unthinkable thought. And when it comes to you know, the temple of our hearts, Uh, There's not a person here who can say, I've never made a mistake, I don't know Jesus. We're all individuals who need redemption and forgiveness. And so uh, we come as as individuals who have lots of gratitude. And the story I want to share with you this evening comes from a missionary that uh, originated from uh, the British Isles, a man that many of you have probably heard of, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor is uh, responsible for taking Christianity to the interior of China at a time when it was very difficult. When he arrived in China... Uh, they were having a civil war and he would go out witnessing uh, and he would literally see people dying in front of him as he was going. And it's interesting where today we often hesitate and say it's too dangerous. His attitude is, people are dying, I need to get out there quickly to reach as many as I can before any more die. And we need to adopt more his his attitude. As a young man, he grew up in a, uh, in a home with a very spiritual family, but unfortunately Hudson had great difficulty coming to Jesus uh, didn't seem to make sense to him. He wasn't able to, to really connect and, and give his life to Jesus, and so he'd pretty much given up on God. But his mother one day decided that she was going to pray for her son one afternoon until he was converted. She was going to be somewhere else, and so there where she was, she began praying, begging God to convert him. Hudson that afternoon was looking for something to do. He wandered into his father's study and saw a tract uh, by the name of poor Richard, and uh, he picked up that tract and decided to himself, I will read the story, but I'll skip all the scriptures. It's the story of a man who's dying, and his family members, I think it's his, his sister, are trying to convince him to come to Jesus, and that one is never too bad to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And in reading that tract, his heart was warm, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he began rejoicing. He called his sister, and he told his sister, uh, or he communicated with his sister, don't let mom know I wanted to s- surprise her. But you know, it's interesting, that afternoon when his mother was praying, suddenly she had the sense that her prayers had been answered and she began rejoicing. And later when she returned home and and Hudson was surprised that his mother seemed to know and they shared notes, they discovered that when he'd come to Jesus was about the same time that his mother was rejoicing in Jesus as well. So parents, we must not stop praying. Someone said we should only stop praying when there's no more breath in a person. You know, if you look at the story of the Bible, look at Manasseh. Who could have done more wickedness than Manasseh? And yet, even then, when he came back, you know, to his to himself and he came to God, God restored him. So we must keep praying. Well, speaking of Hudson Taylor, he says, Not many months, and I have it in front of me here, after my conversion, I, having a leisure afternoon, I retired to my own chamber to spend it largely in communion with God. Well do I remember that occasion, how in gladness of heart I poured out my soul to God again and again confessing my grateful love to him who had done everything for me, who had saved me when I'd given up all hope and even desire for salvation. And I sought him to give me some work to do for him as a way of showing my gratitude. He said, God, just show me something I can do for you to show you my gratitude. Some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying, however trivial, however menial, just give me something that I can do for you. Well, do I remember as an unreserved surrender, I put myself, my life, my friends, my all upon the altar. And the deep impression came upon me that the assurance that my sacrifice, my gift, had been accepted. For what service, I knew not. But a deep consciousness came over my soul that I no longer belonged to myself. Two or three years later, for example, he says, someone came and offered me a job. A proposition of an unusually favorable nature was made. But he said, I felt that I dared not accept any binding engagement such as was suggested because I was no longer my own. I must be available to go wherever God might call me. Within a few months of that time, I con- of consecration, the impression was wrought upon my soul that it was to China that I had been called. He said later he was distinctly impressed that he had been called to China. Uh, He knew that it might cost him his life, for China was not then open, but he decided that God had called him and he would go. Knowing that a local pastor had a book on China, he went to read the book, a book called Medhurst China, and I called the pastor to ask for a loan of the book. He said, that's fine, I'll gladly share it with you, but why is it that you're wanting to read this book? Hudson said, I told him that God had called me to spend my life in missionary service in that land. Anyway, the man said to him, he said, how do you propose to go there? I answered, I have no idea that it seemed to me probable that I should need to do it as the 12 and the 70, go without purse or script, relying on him who had called me expecting that he would supply all my need. Kindly placing his hand on my shoulder, the minister replied, Ah, my boy, as you grow older, you will get wiser. Such an idea would do very well in the days when Jesus himself was here, but that idea would not work now. Here is Hudson Taylor's wonderful response. I've grown older since then, but I'm not wiser. I am more than ever convinced that if we take the directions of our Master and the assurance that he gave to his first disciples more fully as our guide, we should find him to be just as suited to our times as to those in which they were originally given. Let me repeat the answer for those that might not have heard well. The pastor said, When you get older, you'll get wiser. And he says, I've gotten older, but not wiser. If anything, I am more than ever convinced that if we follow the directions of the master and the assurance that he's given to his first disciples, we shall find them to be just as suited to our times as to those in which they were originally given. And so my brothers and sisters this evening, I want us to take some quiet time with the Lord. Many of you have had to travel maybe on on the underground or or on, on the roads. There's something wonderful about coming in quiet and silence before God. Remembering how much he loves you. Telling him what is on your mind and taking all of your burdens and laying them on him. One of your famous Englishmen, George Mueller, said, how you know when you've laid your burdens on God, when you have a light heart. So when you lay your burden on God, put it there fully. You know what he said? If you don't lay the burden on God, he'll be required to put more burdens on you so that you finally learn to give your burdens away. Take some quiet time now with Jesus and talk to him about what's on your heart this evening. Father, I want to thank you that we have been able to spend some time now. Send the Spirit to help me to properly communicate for you. Bless this meeting for your sake. We pray for your success. Forgive us our sins. Forgive everything, Father, that would hinder you communicating with us. And help me, Father, to be clear and to be distinct and easy to understand, in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, this week we are studying about the construction and the dedication of the temple, and we are slowly but surely building our way or or, 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 or growing through the story. Um, and we're doing it kind of through the view of, of the of the four temples that I've referred to we're not really talking about the heavenly sanctuary, although the heavenly sanctuary is throughout everything that I talk about. But when we pick up the narrative with, uh, with Solomon, and I won't look up all the verses for the time being, but uh, Solomon was given wisdom by God. He was uh, made powerful. You know, the men of all the nations came to hear of his wisdom. Uh, Solomon reigned over a large kingdom, and the Bible says that he had rest. He was having no difficulties. There was peace. And the country enjoyed great prosperity. 2 Chronicles one fifteen says, The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as pebbles. You know, when he asked God for wisdom, God blessed him in an abundant way beyond what he could have ever imagined. And I believe God still wants to bless us when we choose his way. It says, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those other things that we need will be provided. That's interesting, if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 5, because the construction of the temple is mentioned in both 1 Kings 5 and 2 Kings, approximately the same places in those books, uh, you find a similar narrative, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but uh, verse 1, it says, Hiram king of Tyre sent his servants to Solomon because he'd heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. It's interesting that, that news of Solomon had come to Hiram, and Hiram initiated a contact with uh, Solomon. And we read of it there. We're not going to go into any great depth there. But uh, Solomon then responds in verse 2, talks about, you know, about his father, and then says, God has given me rest in chapter 4. Speaks in verse 5 of wanting to build a house for the name of the Lord. And then asks that he would please cut down cedars of Lebanon, et cetera, et cetera, my servants will work with your servants, and whatever you want me to pay them, whatever you're asking for this, I will be happy to do it. I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. That's in verse 6. And we're going to discuss more uh, Solomon's relationship with Hiram tomorrow evening. But uh, things developed. Eventually uh, Solomon actually writes, Hiram says, Please choose for me a master craftsman to direct the building of the temple. And so the story continues. Uh, And then we find that in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, it's also in 1 Kings, but I I like the the account in 2 Chronicles better, Uh, we have the recounting of the building of the temple. And we want to look at that carefully. Uh, We are skipping for now Solomon's prayer for wisdom. We'll come back to that later in the week. But I want us to look at the building, because the theme tonight is building for what? Building for eternity, not building just for next uh, week or, or next month or next year. The first thing I notice in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. When we think of the word Mount Moriah, what do we associate with that place? What event do we first find in the book of Genesis? That's the place where Abraham took Isaac and tried to sacrifice him, but God stopped him and said, no. You know, he was stopped by the angel of the Lord and, and he caught a ram, or there was a ram there that was caught in the thicket and he sacrificed that ram. Later, when David had caused mischief and there was a plague going through Israel, he was told to go to the threshing floor of a man whose name is pretty complicated. You you find it there, the threshing floor of, um, of Ornan the Jebusite, I guess it's not that complicated. Um, He was told to make a sacrifice so that the plague would be stopped. And so when Solomon begins to build, the place that he builds is at Jerusalem, right on that spot. And the first thing that I want to mention is that for the builders that were doing that construction, they should have been in awe of the sacred and holy place that they were building. Okay? Salvation history had taken place there. And my brothers and sisters, when we go into that sanctuary, we are not going just into a building. We are going into a place that is hallowed by the blood of people who who shed their lives in the dark ages and before the early church because they believed the truth. Had they not been willing to die, we would not be here this evening. Did you know that? When you go there, you go to a, a place hallowed by what has gone on before. Okay? Then... What do we know about the location of the other temples? Well, when the children of Israel looked at the tabernacle, it wasn't just a building. It was the place where, where the pillar of cloud had come down when God had communicated with Moses. It was the place where the glory had entered and Moses had not been able to enter. It was the center of their life. And my brothers and sisters, I know that this is a place we go to once a week, but what it represents should be that which drives all that we do during the week. Okay? There was a second temple, the temple of our hearts. It's all the same theme, that we should live in the knowledge of, of, of what has happened and what goes on here in terms of, of salvation. The next thing it speaks about is when he began, and then he gives the dimensions in verse 3. This is the foundation which Solomon laid for the building of the house. The length was 60 cubits by cubits, according to the former measure, and the width 20 cubits, we're not going to get into the various dimensions. But the point is is that the tabernacle in the wilderness and the tabernacle here was made with very precise directions. I've worked in construction a few times, and you know the builder looks very carefully at the blueprint. And 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 the building going together depends on the blueprint. How would you feel, for example, if you were driving down the road, speaking of another building project, and and you knew that the builders that put together a an overpass had not been careful to put the right kind of cement or hadn't bothered to measure quite right and so actually instead of having quite a lengthy overhang for support there was only maybe a few inches. Would you be worried? Sure you would be. And so uh, it was made very precisely and I think it's very important to remember that when it comes to be a Christian our lives are not just coincidental. That God has a plan and God is very specific in His plan and very qualified and and comprehensive in what he's doing if we will trust him, okay? Anyway, so it was begun at a particular time Uh, in terms of the construction. It began in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign, And the reason it began then, I read, is because it took several years just to put in the foundations, just make the land level where they wanted to build. And then it took seven and a half years to build. Those are all important time periods, okay? In terms of the actual construction, um, Solomon had a challenge from, and I'm just reading what, what a Bible dictionary shared, from a subterranean quarry in Jerusalem He obtained huge blocks of stone for the foundations and walls of the temple. These stones were prepared for their places where they were found. As the hill in which the temple was to be built did not afford sufficient space, a huge wall of solid masonry of great height in some places more than 200 feet high was required. We're talking more than maybe 60 meters, perhaps, but a very, very high structure. And all of the stones that were brought were brought, you know, and and had been actually shaped before they were brought because never was there heard the sound of a chisel or any other tool, okay? There was a perfection about what was done, okay? In the spaces between were erected many arches and pillars, thus raising up the general surface to the required level. He also provided sufficient water. One of the cisterns contained uh, three million, um, what's known as baths, I think, of water. So it was a, a very, very large place. Anyway, um, no, three million gallons. I'm sorry, three million gallons of water, they're saying. Anyway, thousands of labors were used. They gradually put it all together, carefully fit together, as I said. And at length, um, they began building, and after seven and a half years, it was completed. Okay. Okay. Much time was spent building a foundation. Let's think about that. Solomon was unable to build the temple without having the right foundation. None of us would want to live in a house without the right foundation. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, verse 19, it says there. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What does that mean? What does that mean? As I understand it, I believe it means that we are built on not only on the work that they did, but our acceptance of what they said. During the last couple of years, I have spent virtually, I mean, I—that that is what I've mainly studied, the major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. And what I've discovered was that Those books are really love stories. The story of a God who desperately loves his people is trying to help them, protect them from harm and danger, but they stubbornly refused to listen. And there wasn't a reason why they needed to suffer harm. And this temple that was so beautiful because they didn't want to listen to the prophets of their day uh, was destroyed. I was shocked when I read that. God said that if you will not relent... I will destroy this temple that you put so much confidence in. Your children will die. Your people will be taken captivity. Everything will be burned. God told them that time after time after time. But they didn't want to listen. What are you building your foundation upon? I ask you a sincere question. Do you know your Bible because of what others have told you? Or because you're studying for yourself? It's a sincere question. You know the story of Naaman, I believe. The story of Naaman is the story of a man who has a great problem. He has leprosy, right? He's going to die, and there's a young woman who lives in his home. She's actually a slave girl. She should have had a bitter attitude, should have said, serves him right, the sooner he dies, the happier I'll be. But instead of that, she goes and she says, if only he would go to Samaria, and Naaman finally heads off with gifts, because he thinks he has to buy his healing. When he goes there, he goes dressed well, with a chariot full of gifts and soldiers all around him. I'm sure people watched him as he arrived, and he's met. He expects he's gonna be met by by the prophet Elisha. He thinks he's gonna have Elisha wave his hands over him, but who meets him? A messenger. And it's interesting, when you read what he says, there are two things that upset him. The fact that a messenger was sent and he didn't like the message. And my brothers and sisters, when we talk about being built on the foundation of the apostles and Jesus Christ, it is taking this book for what it, what it is as, as God's love story and God's message book and God's owner's manual for us to find joy and happiness. I really do believe that that the, the sadness and the difficulties and in our Adventist families and and in our personal lives is all due to the fact that we really don't like what it says there because we'd rather think things out for ourselves. But I want to tell you this evening as one who knows that God's way is the best way. Did you hear me? I've been married before and I'm divorced. And when I married my rose here it was God's choice. If ever we had a, an arranged marriage, we did. And we are so happy that I am convinced that really the only marriage worth having, if you have the option, because you're still single, is one where you say, God, help me to find the one and help me to base it on what the Bible teaches without even the tiniest bit of compromise. I say that sincerely. Okay? It says that, that we've been built on the foundation, okay, having been built, But it is possible to go to church and not be built on that foundation. And there's a quotation of Ellen White that that I didn't show you, where she says, Avoid the sand. You're building for eternity. Avoid the sand. How many people are building their lives in sand? And someday we will be speechless. We won't have anything to say. Okay? Well, the construction began, look at 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. Or You don't need to. I'll just tell you what's there. Uh, they began um, the fourth year of Solomon's reign, as I, as I said, and they began shaping those pieces. And look at 1 Kings 6, verse 7. 1 Kings 6, verse 7. It says there, And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stones finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built built. There wasn't a single sound. Now, all the material began as an ordinary material. The rocks were just rocks. The trees were just trees. They were like any other tree. But when they were chosen, master craftsmen began working with those rocks. Master craftsmen began working with those trees to shape them to fit a specific spot. I hope you've heard what I've said. Master craftsmen, people who were the best of the best, began working with those timbers, began working with those rocks because they had a role to play in this temple and every piece was needed. Did you hear me? Every piece was needed and every piece was being shaped for a specific purpose. I don't believe the Christian life is really as much about obedience as it is about trust. Did you hear me? Do you trust God enough to surrender your life to Him and let Him shape your life because you believe He is indeed a master craftsman of people's lives today as well? All of us are ordinary apart from God. None of us are strong. None of us are wise. But when we put our lives in God's hand, He begins to work. And He can do miracles as you could not possibly begin to imagine. But unless you yield your life, he you can't do anything. So they worked very hard. As you read about the construction of the temple, what you discover is there would be wood and then they would overlay it with gold often. It was absolutely amazing in its beauty. The materials, the gold use is just, you know, beyond what anyone would use today. They could not afford it. When God works, He takes who you are naturally and then he clothes you with something that is of such beauty, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what what we're told? That when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we never made a single mistake. Did you know that? We're told that God treats us as if we never made a a single mistake. And I sometimes ask churches, would you like to treat each other the way that God treats us? When you go to church, treat everyone you meet as if they never made a single mistake. Would that be a bad thing? You might come to church and say, there's something strange going on here. I I don't think I've come to the right place. Now, maybe your church is different, but I find that in too many churches, sometimes we can be hard on each other. We can talk about each other. But it's amazing. When God works with us, it's just like the, the temple that had all that overlay of gold. Something beautiful... God puts his rover of righteousness, he puts his arm around this, and I don't think, brothers and sisters, we should be criticizing each other if God treats us like that. That doesn't mean we need to be silent, that, 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 that we want to stay the same way. Jesus said, you know, neither do I condemn thee, go sin no more. God wants to make us like himself. But when God does the work, God uses love, not criticism. Did you know that? This is just a little lesson in relationships. I'm sure you know this, but, um, you know, if you have a garden, you don't put pesticides and, uh, and poisons on your plant, do you? What do you do? You give them sunshine and water, and they thrive. And if you want a happy wife or a happy husband, give them sunshine and water, so to speak. You want to have good relations with others, give them sunshine and water. What a difference it would make. I know you're saying maybe this is simplistic, but how many of you actually do it as a principle? How many of you do it as a principle? And then, uh, I was fascinated by, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 9. It says there, and in 1 Chronicles, I apologize, Here we are, verse 9. The weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper area with gold. I had to do a lot of study here. And there's quite a few people who believe that that actually there were portions of the temple where they used golden nails. Even the nails were made of precious metal. And, and, And as I thought of this, the spiritual application... You know, our our relationships, our connections to each other should be precious. People need to be treated preciously. Did you hear me? This is a temple that was put together carefully out of the most expensive materials, and God's church has been put together with the most precious materials too. And you're one of those precious materials this evening. Don't let anyone tell you anything otherwise. Okay? And then there's the fashion of the furniture, and I'm not going to take a lot of time, but the first thing is the bronze altar. It's interesting, there was only one bronze altar, because that's where the priests were to wash themselves, and there was only one Savior, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, there was a um, a sea of cast... Well, that's where the sacrifice, I'm sorry, that's where the sacrifice was made on the bronze altar... But there's also a, what's referred to as a sea of cast bronze. There was only one of those, and that's where the priests would, would wash themselves. But then there were many uh, bronze labors, ten bronze labors, where they washed the, uh, the things that were being offered. And so there's an abundance of uh, facilities available for washing, which speaks to how abundant God's mercy is towards us. Then there were ten lampstands. Ten lampstands made of gold according to their design. Speaks of the abundant light that God wants to shed through us, that God wants to shine through us, and to shine to us. But notice in 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 21, it says, And with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, of purest gold, even the things that were used to trim the wicks, they were made of precious metal. Nothing was rude. Nothing was 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 rough. Everything was perfect. Everything was was beautiful. Then there was also the ten tables of showbread, five on each side, also made of gold. And it's interesting, the bread on the table of showbread was to be changed every Sabbath day. Speaking to the to the need to come and get a new feeling of the bread of life every Sabbath. Finally, Something else that I noticed was the two pillars and a network containing hundreds of pomegranates. You read about that in chapter 7, verse 15 of 2 Chronicles. Actually, 1 Kings 7, 15. And I'll read that for you. And he cast two pillars of bronze, each one 18 cubits high, etc. Okay? And here's what's interesting. At the top there was a, a net of some kind, and if you turn I'm sorry I should have had you just go to second chronicles chapter 3 verse 17 It says there Then he set up the pillars before the temple one on the right hand and the other on the left two pillars and verse 16 he made wreaths of chainwork that were on the top of those pillars and put 100 pomegranates and then somewhere else it speaks of 400 pomegranates what was the purpose of the pomegranates they were the most attractive fruit in that time. The most delicious fruit. And God wanted to make that temple wonderfully attractive that people would want to come to it. And on the hem of the high priest there were pomegranates and gold. Everything said come, trust. This is something positive. As we come to church we should remember then, perhaps above all other times that that people gave their lives, that it's based on the Word and that it is abundant in mercy that God is extending to all of us. When Hudson Taylor found Jesus, he said, God, what can I do? Have you found Jesus for yourself? Visit Solomon's temple and see God's love Shouting out from all the furniture of that temple. Been the same message, but the church ought to be today. Thank you. You have just heard one of a multi part series on the construction and dedication of Solomon's Temple, given by myself, Dan Augsburg, at the Stanbro Park Church in the fall of 2015. I pray that it has been a blessing to you. You can find the rest of the presentations at my website, DiscipleHeart.com. Let me spell that for you. DiscipleHeart, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-H-E-A-R-T, DiscipleHeart.com. Perhaps you have a question that you'd like to pose to me directly. If so, feel free to write me at pathtoprayer at gmail.com. Let me give you the spelling, P-A-T-H, number 2, P-R-A-Y-E-R, pathtoprayer at gmail.com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.